0: We've been practicing here together now for just over a day. And we start to feel, make contact with, and in a way be impacted by what it is to be here. We start to see some of what's going on for ourselves, for each other. And in this practice, we're very much interested in seeing what's going on. One of the things that we might notice when we contemplate coming on a retreat is we have this sort of idea, ah, that'll be nice. It's kind of this quiet, peaceful, friendly place, nice people, good food, comfortable, accommodations and it can almost be a little bit like we start to generate at least for some of us a little bit of a sort of a a fantasy like we're going to some tropical paradise maybe coming to New England in the middle of winter we don't think tropical paradise but there can be some sense of that oh how nice I can't wait you know all the challenges (coughs) and struggles of my life will just drop away and that sense of yeah great want to get there. And then of course we get there and as we start to settle into what it actually means to be on a retreat, the sort of the the story of the fantasy of the paradise on tropical island sort of idea, so to sort of think, oh no, no, I got that wrong, didn't I? This is it might be an island but it's more like Alcatraz. <laughs> you know, it's kinda of like I'm stuck here. In this condition. And it might not be exactly what we'd imagined or anticipated or hoped for and one of the responses we can notice or urges we can notice in different ways and forms that it expresses itself is the the sense of wanting to escape wanting to get out of here in some way and we've we've i think mentioned or reflected a little on the f- fact of that response and i'd like to reflect a little further on the ways in which it it plays out, and the significance of attending to that way of responding, becoming more conscious with it, and really recognizing or seeing, allowing ourselves to really take in the reality that there is no way out. And so we could understand the practice we're engaged in as the The practice of no escape. What does that mean for us? We, probably all of us in different ways, have quite a deeply rooted belief, faith, and actually probably attachment to the idea or to the possibility of escape. It's something pervasive in our culture, the sense of looking for a way out of the particular conditions or circumstances that we might find difficult or challenging and I think it's a really interesting thing to reflect on and a reflection to come back to, it's like how much of my life or if we've done this before, how much of my recent life how much of my life has been an attempt to get away from whatever it was that we were attempting to get away from, how much of my time, my energy is expended in that way the attempt to get away from. And that kind of realization that I I touched on just before, which we might come to at the end of the first full day of the retreat, of just, oh, okay, this situation, it's challenging. And some of the romantic ideas that we associate with it start to sort of drop away. Of course, if we said on the brochures exactly what it's going to be like on the first day of your retreat, who would come? We talk about lovely, wonderful qualities of heart and mind and human possibilities, of course, because that's part of what's here. And yet, that isn't necessarily what we experience or encounter when we turn up here. And, you know, as this starts to dawn upon us, we we start to we start to think, oh dear, you know, gosh, how many days did I sign up for? It's you know, nine days? Really? How many hours is that? How many sittings will that involve? How many walkings? How many times will I be encountering this place from which at times at least it seems I want to get out of? And so This process or this movement towards escaping, towards not wanting to fully take on the reality of our experience. In fact, I'm noticing it's happening to me right now because I don't want to have to put on a pair of glasses to see the notes I have in front of me. But the truth is I can only barely have some idea of what's going on down there without them. And I know that if I put them on, I can't really see you. So it's an inevitable what can you do, it's going to be one or the other maybe I should get bifocals but uh, I just picked these up out of the little basket that they have and they work really well for me Um, so I think I'm going to have to use them and it's been coming this point where I can no longer get away with just sticking it that far away and thinking "Yeah, I can read it and yet something in me doesn't want to get there but I'm going there aren't I we're all going there in different ways And so we get involved in a process of trying to, of not facing how it is by somehow trying to escape through distraction, through entertainment, through getting comfortable. It's very interesting the process of getting comfortable or trying to get comfortable, how that works for us. There's a few of you. Reasonable number here for the first time on a retreat. You're probably wondering, how on earth do I do this? How on earth do I cope with this? How on earth can I make this work for me in a way that sustains? I don't know if it's that difficult. I hope it's not too difficult. But there's probably ways in which it's quite challenging. And yet, those of you who've been here quite a few times before, and there are plenty of you who've done this many times, you've already figured out lots of ways to actually allow yourself to stay more comfortable to deal with the challenges and interestingly and sadly that sometimes makes the practice less potent for us we can often have a lot more openings awakenings and say, wow this is amazing in the early retreats and years of practice and that after a while one of the things i've noticed is one's learned how to not actually be stretched quite so far by the process because we've understood that oh yeah If I get there early, I'll be able to get the place in the hall that I really like because I like to be up the front. Or I like to be down the back or by the window or wherever it is we've discovered over the course of a few retreats we feel more comfortable. And I'll be able to sign up for the yogi job that I like and don't get the one that I don't like. At the time that I like and not at the time I don't like. And we've learned to do that. I do it too when I go on a retreat. I watch myself do it. I think, you don't need to do that. You talk about that you don't need to do that. And here I am. (laughs) I go and do it when I go on a retreat. Getting comfortable. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. But one of the things about being comfortable is that it tends to lend itself to going to sleep. So one of the elements of of a retreat situation intentionally is that it it's challenging us in certain ways, maybe more obvious, maybe not so obvious, because part of what that does is it somehow shakes us out of our, our habitual tap pattern to seek comfort, cozy, soft, warm, dull, fuzzy, sort of disappearingness, which is a, a way of escaping. We touched a little bit on that in the in the questions um, this afternoon. That, and seeing, or of course, for for some of us, the way we look to. Escape is more in the other direction. It's more through excitement. It's through stimulation. Through thinking of something really important or exciting, or even just, um, you know, starting to project where it is we're going to be at the end of the retreat, or at the end of, gosh knows, you know, our meditation career, which we sometimes think of it in those terms of this career that we're developing, and, and that kind of sense of we project towards where we're going, and. And all of this takes us away from the simple immediacy of our experience. Whether it's, you know, some form of fantasy or planning or just general spacing out, thinking, analyzing. I I used to do maths problems on retreat. I used to just come up with some random problem that was difficult but not too difficult, so I thought I'd probably be able to figure it out eventually, and just sit and work my way through it on during the sitting. Now, I'm not recommending this as a practice at all, but I used to then wonder, why am I doing that? It's like, oh, it kind of means I don't have to face what it's like to be here. And of course, as we start to notice that, because part of what happens here, it's an interesting thing, most of us, certainly I, and I think most of us, will find ourselves playing out many of the normal patterns of our life in relationship to how we do the practice. But what happens here is we start to see it. And actually, the practice and the whole form is engineered to make it pretty hard to avoid starting to notice what it is that we're doing. And although that's actually great that we notice it, it's like, great, we can see what we're doing. It doesn't mean it stops, but we start to recognize what's underlying, perhaps, the process. And yet, really interestingly, we see ourselves doing it, and then we think, that's the thing I want to stop that becomes the condition I've got to escape from, as if I somehow have to get away from my tendency to try and get away from things. And you can see how we just recreate the problem, but now we've got the meditative problem of, of not doing that thing that was the escape pattern. And yet, that too in itself is just to be seen, just to be known, as we, as we spoke about earlier. And to watch ourselves do it. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes. But actually, we all do it, so there's no need to be embarrassed. It's like, what kind of things we get involved with here? There's not a lot of entertainment on a retreat, actually, is there? It's pretty, you know, there aren't a lot of nice pictures on the walls, and there's not a lot to do. We've commented on that already. One of the places we get going, certainly I do, and I imagine for some of you, start, you know, looking for things we can read. Now we get hungry. It's like, what can entertain me here? I don't want to be with this just kind of ordinary, boring, quote, so-called boring experience. So we find ourselves reading the schedule, or the notice board. You know, in the first time, it's good. We know what's going on. The second time, we're just checking. The third time, we know what's there, but we're reading it anyway. What's that about? Carefully checking the label on the tea bag. You know, what does it say? Somehow, there's this urge we have. And we can just notice, oh, we keep looking. I keep looking for something to pick up, to engage with, that somehow I can sort of reform my world around in relationship to the something that somehow takes me away from the direct and the unmediated contact with being alive, with being here. You know, the instructions are really simple. They're not that complicated. But the process and the experience It can be really challenging because what the instructions are intended to do, what the form is in support of, is this condition in which we encounter our life. We encounter the truth of our life. And the underlying wisdom of this and the underlying kindness of this is that in that encounter, that very truth can inform and transform the way we live and the way we see. And the way we respond to life. But in order for it to be able to inform and transform us, we have to really allow ourselves to be exposed to it. And so just watching this tendency, so far as we can, not having to follow it, where we want to move away from what's going on. And there can be this whole element that also arises of, of kind of the more spiritual version where we we escape by kind of transcending. It's like, oh, if I can just get things really calm, if I can just stop all the noise, stop all the thought, stop all the difficult things happening, then that's going to be the happy condition I was looking for. I met with a, um, a group of 16-year-old students at a a college in uh, Exeter, a city near where I live in England recently, and just uh, uh, their tutor had invited me to to just come in and speak with them, uh, students of philosophy of religion. And it was really interesting what they could, without having really engaged in this kind of a practice, they kind of had a sense of what it might be about. And one of the very common things was just stopping your mind. I was like, why is it we want to stop our mind? It's a really useful thing. Without our mind, we wouldn't have got here. But what is it about the condition of our mind that makes us want it to come to an end? Because you know there is an operation that will do that. But it's not what we want. It's not what we're here for. And so there's this this sense of we might want to, to kind of quieten or damp it all down. Outer experience, inner experience. Or we might have the sense, and sometimes you hear this within spiritual circles and even within the the world of Buddhist teaching, that you know, kind of it's all an illusion out there. Don't get involved with it, don't 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 be touched by it, don't make it too important. It's it's not for real. Now, you know, the classic response of the Zen master when the student comes in saying, It's all an illusion, I've understood, you know, it's empty, it's not for real. Zen Master gets out their stick and thumps the person and oh, actually that's kind of real, isn't it? There is something about our life that we can't sort of sort of make go away. And here, what is it to really open up to what it means to be this human being? That's the question we're asking ourselves here. What is it to be this? What is it to open to being this? without yet knowing what we're going to discover, what we're going to find. It might not even be that the answers will be things we could speak to ourselves or another, or that we could write down in words. But what is it to open to this? Because when we're engaged in spiritual practice, it's easy to have the sense that maybe we're we're seeking freedom. And in fact, we speak of this, and it's something that is a, as a kind of a, a, a language form and as an expression I, I find quite actually powerful and meaningful, that sense of to seek freedom. And yet the way we can take or hold that, it's like it's like as if we need to get away or escape from something. And it suggests that we're somehow bound by our experience. And the response to that is to somehow escape from our experience, to get away from it. But there is no way out. There is no escape from this human predicament. I mean, some people have the, uh, it seems, comforting idea that, you know, at the end of one's life it all stops. Hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. But it could be quite a while before that happens. In fact, most of us hope that it will be quite a while before that happens. And of course there's those that take the view that even when that happens it just starts again. I don't know if that happens either. What if this is it? Your life is this that's happening here, that's happening now, that feels like this. It's not something somewhere else. It's not something you're going to get to at the end of a journey and say, oh, now I've got it. It's this. It's already here. It's already happening. This process of seeking one thing in order to escape from another, or seeking to escape where we are by pursuing another. This seems to be what spins our world, what spins our mind. And it goes on and on and on. And there's no happiness in it. There's no satisfaction. There's no rest. It's actually something we feel easily bound in. And yet we imagine the solution to this Bondage is to somehow get to something else or get to somewhere else. This attempt to get to something else or somewhere else. It's really compelling. Now, of course, sometimes, you know, it's time to eat some food. We're hungry. There's food being served. If we need to get to where the food is, that's okay. We do that sort of thing all the time. That's fine. But we can carry this kind of kind of idea that somehow when I get to that place that's going to do it that's going to be the place but of course you know we get there we have some food and it's nice or it's not depending on our preferences and whatever and yet afterwards then we need to go somewhere else we need to do oh that was very nice oh I enjoyed that lunch I enjoyed the lunch I don't know about you but that sort of quiche was really you know yummy and hmm and then afterwards of course sleepy drowsy hmm got to go lie down now um so it's not that comfortable having eaten all that rather too much, probably in my case, quiche. Because actually then something else needs to be escaped from or needs to be pursued. The Buddha, having contemplated and reflected, in fact before he was the Buddha, as a, just a, a human being like ourselves... But looking and wondering about his life and about what it means to be alive, he he asked himself this really important question. He said, why should I, who is subject to birth, to aging, to sickness and death, why should I spend my life seeking after other things which are also subject to birth, to aging, to sickness, to death? Given that our experience isn't forever, given that sometimes it is challenging, Does it make sense to always be looking for a different version of the same thing that's going to be subject to that condition? Would it not make more sense, he said, to seek for that which is not subject to birth, aging, sickness, and death? So we can watch ourselves in this process of moving towards, moving away from. And it's really useful, again, not to be judging that process, if we see it happening, but to letting ourselves really feel, be conscious of, be impacted by the truth of it, and at the same time to be able to see, oh, this seems to play out, doesn't it? This seems to happen, doesn't it? Oh, what's it like when this is happening? And to see, I mean, I think it's actually really useful to bring a kind of kindly appreciative humor to it sometimes because we see you know in our life we think oh I'm so busy I'm so busy I want to go on a retreat you know within a day of being on a retreat we're thinking wow I can't wait to get back to my life and do something else or the things I want to sort out or you know those sort of thoughts turn up in our minds it's like we see we keep moving into the future in that way or we're waiting for the bell sitting and it's like I can't wait till the bell would ring and the sitting will end and then the bell rings and it's like, oh, oh heaven, oh, how nice, I like this practice. You know? And then it's walking and we're walking back and forth, we're thinking, when's it going to end? When does this stop? The bell rings, oh, how nice, I can go and sit again. The kind of sitting I was just escaping from 45 minutes ago, I'm now enthused about going back to for a while. And then, oh, lunch is the next thing I start, you know, we tumble if we're not aware, if we're not conscious of this, we tumble from one thing to the next in this way. So can we face that experience? Can we allow ourselves to to feel the moment's experience? There might be something difficult or tender or scary or just something we can't quite comprehend and therefore can't quite package up tidily. And organize in a way that makes us feel in control or safe. Can we actually just allow that that's how it is sometimes for a human being? Not just for any human being, but for this one. For me right now. That's how it is sometimes. And when we notice, and it can sometimes be the case that with the the suggestion and the encouragement to, to use the experience of the body breathing, whether we're noticing a particular place in our body where that experience shows itself, or whether we're more in touch with a kind of a more broad or full experience of the whole body breathing, without one or the other being better, but however that might be, that we're working with the breath that we've found useful. There's a way in which sometimes when other things arise, like maybe some sounds outside or some thoughts inside, you know, in terms of what we call interior experience. There's the sense of, I've got to get back to the breath. You know, it's almost like we're then trying to escape from that other thing that's apparently, we might think, distracting us, and escape back to the breath. It's like, that's the place we're supposed to go. And we are suggesting to come back to that place, but not as an escape from the other moment or the other experience. So one thing that's really helpful is just to Notice where you are and relax just for half a moment. Ah, here am I. And there's a sound or there's a thought or there's a feeling or a sensation that's going on. And maybe it's an unpleasant one I want to get away from or maybe it's something enjoyable and I'm afraid I'm going to get attached. So I'm thinking I need to escape or move away. But what if I just move a little more slowly? Just pause Okay, this is where I am. And then we're landed. Then we're gathered in that place. And then in that gathered way, we can return the fullness of attention to the sense of breathing in the body. In whatever way that shows for you. And we're not in that way compulsively driven or escaping. We're simply reorienting our attention to align with this underlying intention of gathering, of focusing, of settling the heart and mind in the immediacy of our present experience using the body, using the breathing as a framework for that. So we don't have to rush on our way back. And yet we can come back. We can start to really establish a sense of a, of a ground and a refuge here in this experience that can really support us and allow us to kind of handle that pull and push experience that arises internally, that takes us away from this deepening contact with, with our aliveness, with our, the here-ness and now-ness of life that reveals its, its vitality, its beauty, its mystery, but also its challenge. So this process of escaping, we can see that it's a tendency that becomes established in the mind, unquestioned, unconsciously, in our lives. And then when we start to notice it, it's not like it just stops. But by noticing it, we can start to ask ourselves, Am I willing to to make the, the gentle but courageous effort to stay here with things the way they are? to really meet this this life. I mean, one of the fundamental elements of what it means to be a human being is that we're sensitive. We're impacted by experience. Experience that arises around us, that comes from what we call the outside, and experience that arises within us, that comes from what we call the inside. Of course, the inside and the outside are kind of impacting each other all the time in such a way as we might on deeper reflection be not so convinced that they're quite such separate things as we imagine. But initially, certainly that's how it seems and that's how conventionally we talk about it but whichever way we see that, we're being impacted, we're being affected, we're being touched. And so much of our habitual training actually, it's not sort of accidentally. We actually get trained in this, and our culture encourages us to be trained in this. That's okay, to a certain degree, is to to try and control that impact, to try and limit the impact to that which is desirable and pleasurable, and try and exclude the impact of that which is unpleasant or undesirable. And in terms of things which you know, directly impact our, our primary physical well-being. It's, it's, it's skillful, it's right, to make sure we you know, don't get so cold we get exposure, hypothermia. But, or, or that we don't cook. You know, we don't get so hot that we actually get a, a heat stroke. But some of the time, just our kind of adjusting to stay at a comfortable temperature, it's much more about just not having to feel something a little bit uncomfortable for us. And one of the things we can start to do in practicing, if we're not feeling overstretched just by being here, and for some of us, that will be the case, it's enough. You don't need to add anything. If for you it's just enough to kind of keep yourself here, as uh, someone was speaking earlier in the Q&A just rising, just just staying here is enough. But sometimes when we realize, actually, I'm, I'm okay here, in a certain level, we can start to see, where have I made it okay by just you know always kind of, adding or subtracting that extra layer of clothing every time it gets a little warmer or cooler. Where, where are we interested just to explore that without some sense of I must or I should, but out of an interest? What happens if? What happens if? I didn't, I didn't mention this when we talked about drowsiness earlier today. This is one of the things that, for some reason it seems as if it's a really, not a very kindly response, though it's very true. It's like, do you want to stay awake? It's really simple. Take away your cushions. Take away your chair. Take away the padding. It's really hard to fall asleep when you're uncomfortable. But actually most of us choose to be comfortable. I do too. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. But we choose comfort over wakefulness much of the time. And so maybe we could consider having a little bit less. Because by gosh, most of us have quite a lot of it. Comfort, that is. And for some of us, of course, there's plenty enough discomfort here already in terms of physical conditions or life circumstances or emotional, psychological conditions that we're having to deal with right now. So I'm not making this some kind of general instruction here, but more just to see for yourself where you might be in that. And for those of you who are new to the situation of being on a retreat, There's probably enough here for you already, even with as many cushions and blankets as you could possibly fancy. So that's really fine. Because what happens for us is so long as we're still kind of believing and attached to and holding very deeply, and I think we do hold very deeply to this hope or, or faith, in a way, in the possibility of escape. We don't fully face the truth of our lives. And this urge, as I said, it's very strong, this urge to escape. But so long as we believe it's possible, it's really hard to let go of the urge to somehow try and find the way to escape. And I think in a certain way, and certainly my own experience at times has been that when only, or I find myself, I can only really quite let go of the attempt to get away from something once I realise, actually, it isn't possible. Once I really let that in. Which is scary, because I don't know what's going to happen to me. But I do remember being very struck on some of the uh, retreats I've I've taught, which I I very much enjoy teaching, where rather than sort of all being in a a building or in a centre like IMS, we are out Going out walking in somewhere in the wilderness and um, with tents and food and that, and as I remember someone saying to me on one of these uh, one of these walking retreats that i that I very much enjoy being part of and leading after um, a retreat in which it had been raining solidly for three days in the south of France in summer where it's reliably sunny in summer, and it had been raining pretty solidly for three days, and this person said that you know actually. If I could have left, I would have. But I was out there in the middle of nowhere. I, didn't, I couldn't leave because there was nowhere to go. There was nowhere else. There wasn't some escape route available. And this person, having stayed through that wish to get out of it, realized, actually, oh, once that urge to escape drops away, this condition's fine. It's a bit wet. But as long as you stay warm, wet isn't a problem. And we made sure we stayed warm. That's the key thing there. So what is it to let go of the hope of escape? In Dante's Inferno, which I haven't read, but I understand from other people who have, there's an inscription above the entrance to what is, I guess, effectively hell. In one sense, that says, I guess in translation, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And it's kind of interesting. It sounds like, oh gosh, you're going into this place and it's just going to be miserable thereafter. That's what that sounds like it's saying, doesn't it? Don't, it's all going to be miserable from here on in. And yet, what I sometimes wonder if what he might have been pointing to there is that maybe those are the instructions for dealing with the situation. Give up the hope that it's going to be different than it is. And see what happens then. Because when we start to let go of that urge to look for a different condition than the one we have. When we start to open to the fact that sure sometimes we don't like it. But much of what we're encountering that we don't like isn't actually hurting us or harming us in any significant way. It might be uncomfortable or embarrassing or sometimes it can be really painful but it isn't necessarily harming us in any deep way. Those things would, you know, like if you're walking along a road and a truck's coming down the road towards you and you're thinking, I don't need to escape, you know, and the dharma talk he said, don't need to escape, I'll just stand here. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a good idea to get out of the way of the truck. Yeah, we know. That. You don't need me to tell you that. I'm not talking at that level. Or sometimes if we're sitting and there's some degree of discomfort or pain in our body that's saying in really strong, clear language, actually this could be seriously harmful to your body. Listen to that. It's okay to change your posture. Often, of course, that's not what's happening. It's just a little bit uncomfortable. And In fact, if we stay with it a little while, we might often notice it changes. If it doesn't, then maybe we do need to make an adjustment. But there's this sense of, oh, okay, What if I just allow myself to pause a little bit with those things I didn't wish for and see what happens? And we still have the permission to change or to move if we really need to, but that it's not the knee-jerk instinctive first response. So much of what's difficult about what we consider difficult is the way we project into the future and imagine what it will be like if this continues. Like, I can't bear this. I can't handle this. It's usually shorthand for I don't like it and I don't want to have to experience it. But the interesting thing is, when we say I can't handle this, I can't experience it, what we're often doing is imagining I can't if it keeps going. Because the truth is that right now we already are handling it. It's here and we're here. We can. It's happening. It just isn't fun or easy. Now, of course, that's not all of what's going on. But in that territory, there's an immense amount of freedom possible for us. If we start to see that the real escape is the escape from the belief that we have in limitation as definitive of what we are. Limitation of capacity and limitation of potential. We identify with that which is limited. Experiences are. And of course our capacities are. I'm not saying somehow we're going to discover some remarkable omnipotence or sort of you know magical superpowers that mean we can do anything and everything. It's not at that level that I'm speaking. Actually, what's possible for us is so much more than we've been told. Is so much more than perhaps we've believed. And so to see what happens if we just stay with what's here. If we don't withdraw from. If we allow ourselves to to penetrate more deeply and more intimately into our life. And in that process, of course, equally allow our life to penetrate more deeply, more intimately into ourselves. I mean, that's kind of scary. That's kind of vulnerable. It's kind of tender to allow that to happen. And yet the truth of what we are is something open, is something that is tender. And that yet in its vulnerability also has immense strength. And capacity to handle life as it is. But we need to develop, we need to deepen our trust in this. And it takes time to trust our capacity to meet, to receive our life. To allow ourselves to be awakened more fully and deeply by our experience, by each moment. It is this that wakes us up. Now, the Buddha spoke about the possibility for the human heart to be liberated. The human heart-mind. We don't really have a word for what it is that the Buddha had a word for, so we use heart-mind because it covers the territory. But this can be liberated. And yet it's not through an escaping from. It's not through an escaping from. But more, we could say, through an unconditional opening to or dissolving into life, into our experience, and not holding ourselves apart from it in any way. So we're asked to not look away, to not follow That movement of escaping. Or when we see it arising, to see that we don't have to go with it. We can watch it play out and understand that oh, this is a, a movement away. But what would it be? Ask ourselves, invite ourselves back. It's like this process of welcoming. It's also a process of making ourselves at home. Learning what it means to be at home in this life as it is in this heart mind body as it is and as it is can sometimes be delicious delightful exquisite sweet and beautiful and sometimes it can be quite tender and poignant and perhaps overwhelmingly challenging or at other times of course quite kind of just so ordinary we're not interested or it's kind of boring you know, the breath is boring did anyone have that experience breathing is boring should i watch this experience of body breathing in body breathing out been doing it all my life you know just for a moment if you get the sense that you know one of these days one of those out breaths it's going to go out and there isn't going to be another one coming in it's just going to go out and we don't most of us know which one that's going to be suddenly breathing isn't boring, it's like, wow, is it going to come in? Because <laughs> you know, every day, today, and every day, a whole lot of people who thought there was another one coming in, it so happened for them that there wasn't, for any number of reasons, and that's just normal, it's what happens. And so, so even the kind of ordinariness of this, this life is, is something remarkable that it's here at all, and that it seems to keep going at least for a while. Not taking it for granted. Not looking away from our experience, but continually turning back, turning towards, returning to our life, coming back to this life that we have, that's here, that is precious, beyond measure and that we know its preciousness I think in a way because we care deeply for our lives for our well-being and for the well-being of others in different ways that we experience that. There's something about the preciousness of this life and to really honour that preciousness by, by again turning towards coming back to and seeing that that idea of escape, of getting away from which expresses itself also in the sense of somehow reconfiguring it according to the way I want it to be. That that's based on some kind of idea that we are separate from it. And we can therefore reorganize it while we're over here and it's over there. But we can't. It doesn't work that way. The very idea of escape is predicated, is based on a conceiving of a separateness that is not real. That has no fundamental truth to it. And that's why we can't escape. Why there is no escape in those terms. And yet, deliverance is possible. And this is at the heart of the Buddha's teachings, at the heart of what we're engaged in here. The movement to get away from reinforces, it's based on this idea of separateness, and it reinforces it. In fact, it constructs the experience of separateness in the very playing out of that pattern. And so what's really interesting is, although it might be quite a little scary, uncomfortable, unsettling at times, to just allow ourselves to be touched by our life as it is, what we also start to notice as we do that, and to the degree that we're able to do it, it's something that grows over time, but to the degree we're able to do that, there's another way in which we start to feel ourselves settling in to something that we could call home, that we could call here, that we could call this, that we don't have to actually call anything. But that we start to, ah, what is it that's happening as we settle? It's like we could equally ask, what is it into which we are settling? We don't have to answer those questions, but be interested in them. What is it to really be here unconditionally? Freedom of heart and mind is what is revealed when we are unconditional with our life. Because in that life is unconditioned. When we release the pressure from it that we place on it and therefore upon ourselves to be other than as it is, then the very natural and beautiful care and concern for our own well-being and for others, that is actually what underlies that very attempt to get away from or to reorganize or to fix it all, that very care, that natural and beautiful and precious, kindly, well-wishing that's at the heart of all human activity, of all of life, in fact, that this actually can support us to stay with, to come back to, and to open again and again into our life. Who is it that we imagine it is that's escaping? What is it that we might imagine we could escape from? And to where? Where else could we go? We might think, well, you know, enlightenment, isn't it? Isn't that where we're going? And... Uh, uh Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, a teacher in the Tibetan tradition, he once said, you know, enlightenment is a great disappointment for the ego. Because that very construction that's trying to get somewhere else, that isn't what gets liberated. When we're no longer bound in that pattern, there's a natural radiance of heart, of life that reveals itself as what is here and always having been here and yet not seen because of the the attempt to get away from that part of what's here that wasn't easy for us. So this teaching of the Buddha is pointing to there is deliverance, there is freedom, liberation, to be realized, to be discovered. And yet, without escaping from all of this, not apart from our experience is this deliverance to be found, but nor dependent on it either. And yet, through releasing our grasping onto and our pushing away, our attempt to Reorganize the way it is, releasing that, we, can't, we can discover for ourselves that what is here offers us exactly what we need, which is an open doorway to what in our hearts we long for most deeply. So I'd like to finish with a, a piece from Lao Tzu. And he talks about a, uh, the, the image of what it's like. It's a familiar image in meditation. Of, if we're trying to let something... If we have a glass full of water with some mud in it, muddy water, and we're trying to sort of let it settle, but we keep picking it up, shaking it, moving it around, trying to get it to settle... Doesn't work that way, does it? We actually have to just acknowledge maybe it's muddy, maybe it's cloudy, but can we just let it be the way it is and see what it expresses? And so he writes Do you have the patience to wait till your mind settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? The Master does not seek for fulfillment, but not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. So let's sit quietly for a few moments together. So may we all in our practice here together and in our lives may we more deeply and wholeheartedly enter into each moment. May we come to be at home in this life as it is. And may we come to know for ourselves in our very own experience, the deliverance of which the Buddha speaks and of which these teachings and practices are the invitation to entering into for our own welfare and for the welfare of all beings. So it's time now for some walking practice, and uh, you may find that uh, a little more brisk walking, or even uh, going outside in the the freshness of the the moist air, um, is something that might bring a little rejuvenation if you're feeling a little tired. We have the the next sitting beginning at ten minutes to nine, and at that point in the beginning of the sitting, there'll be a uh, the first of a, uh, of a ch- we'll be chanting together. For those who wish, at least a, uh, a rather lovely, at least I think, lovely chant that we'll uh, tell you about. And there'll be copies of it that you can pick up as you come in and bring with you to your seat. And then we'll just uh, guide you into that. And then there'll be a, a sitting. And if everyone seems to have fallen asleep in 10 or 15 minutes, we'll end it early if needed. So please, come along and... Um, For now, continue with your practice and the walking. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.